This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com. In today's dynamic retail landscape, tracking openings and closings before they take place has never been more important. Having this intelligence is an undeniable competitive advantage. RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com, also known as ROCK, tracks future openings and future closings. Comprehensive, accurate, and reliable, the ROCK is your crystal ball and the key to making well-informed decisions with confidence in today's evolving retail climate. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today we have Tony D'Onofrio. Tony is the CEO of TD Insights, a consulting firm for the private equity industry that focuses on retail technologies. Tony is a top 100 global retail influencer, and we are excited to have him today. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you very much, Chris. A great pleasure to be with you today. So, Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, your work experience, and what you're up to these days? Well, thank you. Uh, so let me start. I'm actually Italian, so you're going to hear a slight accent. <laughs> I was born in Italy and came here as a child, so I grew up here. My career has been all in retail. I started actually working for a retailer and then ended up in retail information technology and security in terms of professional roles. And that actually had a very successful career of multiple large companies. And then a few years ago, five or six years ago, I decided that one day we're all going to be brands, even people. So five, six years ago, I created this uh, personal brand around the future of retail in terms of my thoughts where the future of retail was going. And I built that brand over time. So, for example, on LinkedIn, I have 160,000 plus followers. Plus, I, it's I amazing. Work on, yeah, I work on other different uh, channels. And so that personal brand really was designed to give me something to do when I eventually retire. And uh, I'm... Unfortunately or fortunately, I got received a lot of requests from private equity companies to get engaged now. Don't wait years from now because the action is now, especially in technology evolution of retail. So I decided to retire very early and focus on private equity companies. So today I'm focused on private equity companies working with their portfolio solutions and helping them with retailers and strategies and direction so they grow faster. Let's back up. So who are the retailers you worked for? So the retailer I worked for is actually uh, Pick and Pay was the name of the chain. It was actually eventually acquired by Alhold in Cleveland, Ohio. So that was actually my college and my uh, high school job. I did everything from being a produce manager to being dairy manager, night crew. I was a do-it-all kind of individual. That led me joining NCR in the point of sale area. And that's how I made the transition to technology. So, but yeah, I, I started out in the grocery industry. So I spent a lot of time in the grocery industry. And where was most of your career on the, on the retail information technology front? It was with NCR, uh, where I had different roles in industry marketing and also in sales, uh, successful roles. 
I also work for an, an IBM integrator, a very large IBM integrator, when IBM really was the dominant leader in point of sale. So I work with actually their largest integrator of software solutions and in Greenville, South Carolina. So that was the, the two areas where I spent time around technology inside store. NCR, that's a subsidiary of Johnson Controls? No, no, no. NCR is an independent company. Uh, okay. they, they own a lot of different software solutions. They're based out of Atlanta. It's okay. really what it's, it used to stand for the National Cash Register. So, so, yeah, Johnson Control is really more on the security side. So, Johnson Control acquired Sensormatic. Uh, they also, uh, they, they, they're also, initially were Tyco. They were the Tyco and, and Johnson Control merged as companies. And Sensormatic was the retail division that I worked for. And I spent a lot of time there. That was primarily focused on. Got it. That's where the Johnson Control mix up got from. Got it. Okay. Got it. Got it. And that was on the security front. Correct. Okay. But even there, uh, what I established my reputation of is being very, very close to retailers. So for example, my last position was chief customer officer. So I spent a lot of time flying around the world, spending time with major retailers, understanding what was going on in their operation. But I, I established a reputation early on of doing a lot of research on trends and where the industry was going. So I got invited a lot in terms of presenting technology and so on. So I actually started a, a presentation many years ago that I still continue today to update, which I call the Disruptive Future of Retail. And I've delivered that presentation on stages on every continent around the world. That's a great jumping off point. What is going to happen in this future of retail from a technology front? What's going to happen in the store? What are some things that are going to happen that are going to really make retail exciting and are going to be good for retail? So retail is actually, so let me, I'm going to give you the pre-COVID-19 and the post-COVID-19. Do it. Let's do it. (laughs) So let's do pre-COVID-19. Pre-COVID-19, retail went through three, what I call megatrends, three transformational stages. And they really were based on information. So whoever had the information had the power. And they really got going after the World War II with really the manufacturers establishing very productive supply chains and understanding what stores were selling. So they, they had the power. It changed in the 1970s when the barcode was adopted by retailers where they actually can measure exactly what was selling. And they started telling the manufacturers, no, 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 we're going to stock what we think is selling and we're going to planogram exactly how we want. So that was the second mega trend, the barcode. And really, it was exactly 1974 when that happened. Uh, so really the barcode moved the power from the manufacturer to the retailer. The next mega trend, we all went through it, really didn't understand it. And that was really the introduction of the smartphone. So the funny story about the smartphone is IBM invented it, but never really commercialized. They actually gave up on it too early. Apple put it on the map 2007. And really it became a mega trend when the consumer with that smartphone could walk into any store and decide how to shape their shopping journey, including standing in front of an item and say, you know what, I can buy cheaper online. I don't want to buy it in that store. So that's a third mega trend that retail was living with, this digitization of the industry driven by the internet and smartphones in terms of that third mega trend. And we haven't looked back since. So that's, awesome. that's a little bit of the pre-COVID-19. 
And so what's the post-COVID-19? So COVID-19 has actually been an accelerator. I call it a, a bluder, brutal accelerator of digital transformation trends that were already underway. Retail was going to go online. That was destined to happen. One of the challenges that U.S. has is that it, it is indeed overstored. So a few years ago, just last year, I think, and that seems so far away based on uh, COVID-19, we were talking about the retail apocalypse. All these stores were going to close. We're all going to go shopping online, and that was going to be the end of it. And that's not really what's going to happen. But having said that, COVID-19 has accelerated this rebalancing of how much we do online versus how much we do in physical stores. And what's happening, because U.S. is overstored, so for example, we have 23X, the amount of square footage of a place like Germany, you have weak retailers going out of business. I always, I always say, I, so I, I think that's an interesting point. We talk about that we have more stores proportionately than other countries. But what I find interesting is I find that number a bit arbitrary because how does anyone know what the right number of stores is? So to, in order, in order, in order to know, in order to make that 23 X Germany and say that's overstored, you have to have a, a vision of what the right number is. So what do you think is the right number? So there is no right number. Exactly. But right. Yeah. What's changed is the, the importance of branding and the importance of creating these digital immersive experiences that keep the consumer engaged. What's happening to U.S. retailers, you have too many what I call boring retailers that are just not evolved. And COVID-19, again, has accelerated. Yeah, that, I, that I agree with, for trouble. sure. That I agree with. I, 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 but I always say, some, when someone says the overstored, I always go, why? Why do you think we're overstored? Because we have more than Germany? Because we have more than Canada? That makes us then overstored? Italy too. Then Italy and, too. And, and it's Italy. 10x. The multiplier is 10x. But, but what does that make that overstored? And I think because if you look at the amount of retail sales in the United States in, that are done in brick and mortar stores, and you divide that out over the square footage of retail stores, it would make a very healthy store on average. But you have some that are the average really isn't the way to go. You would have to take the median of that. But I, I, I always say, I, I'm not disputing that we're overstored. I'm suggesting to the world that to say we're overstored because we have more on a percentage basis per capita than the other countries, that doesn't correlate 100% to being overstored. I think you know that gets a little too much press on the per capita between countries. But yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean you're overstored. It just means you have more than the others. No, totally agree with you. I just think that there's a, there's a sector of retail, and especially in the apparel and even in the department store, that I followed out of favor with the consumers in terms of how they want to shop. Sure. The importance of branding is elevated. So those retailers that did, did not keep up and or got ahead of the, the digitization of the industry are the ones that are in trouble right Agreed. And so it, it is this transformation now post-COVID. And so what happens next, Tony? Tell me what happens next. So what happens now, first of all, the online, uh, going online is going to continue to increase, but it's not going to take over the industry. Online is still, most forecasts that I've seen will end up anywhere from 
I've seen forecasts from 20% to 25% of total resales will be online versus where we're at today. And again, in 15, 10 to 15% range in the US. There are some countries that are much higher, like the UK, they're going to get to 30% of retail sales online. But so that portion is going to get bigger, but it is not going to be the overwhelming way that consumers will engage in the shop, partly because rushing to online is actually expensive. Retailers actually don't make as much money. There you online. go. I'm so happy you said that, Tony. I'm so happy you said that. That is the myth. I love it. Correct. They, you know, they think it's great that we can ship. And, but every time you listen to an app, to a call, even from Amazon, you got to listen to the other side in terms of how much money they're spending on the cost side. Hence, not being very, very profitable in just the online I think it, business. I, it was billions for Amazon in Q1, Four right? Billion. Four, Four billion. Four billion in Q1. Four billion. So you can't make money on that. Correct. And that's the challenge. So first of all, it's expensive and you lose margin by offering all their services. Secondly, we're all social. We like to, in, to spend time, go, go look. We want to touch and feel. Take apparel. We buy a lot of apparel online. But the, the dirty secret, we return up to 50% of it back because it doesn't fit. I didn't like that when I actually put it on. So as a result, it's an extreme expense that, I, that a retailer's got to deal with. And really now made even worse with COVID-19 because now you've got to quarantine all those products and do all those kind of things. So, so their physical stores are still going to become very, very important in this new world that we're going to. But... It's not business as usual. Consumers want to have fun. And the example that I've, I've used a lot is the Nike House of Innovation in New York. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's really a, a digital to physical experience to the max. So I, I think it's a great one. I know the store very well. The, and I think you, you, you said a lot there. That was awesome. And I, I do know that store very well. I think one of the things, though, that's a little perplexing to me is that's an awesome store. You know, they got the lockers and they send you the code and they don't have the person behind the counter to go bring you the shoes. It, it's, it's really unique. That's, I don't think that's going to be the everyday store across the world. That's a special store. Is that going to be the everyday store, in your opinion? No. So, and actually for Nike, that's a flagship store. Right. It's a flagship store where they go test ideas for which should be commercialized on a broader basis. Because ultimately, again, it's that balance. I, I, I'll go back to- So what again, does the digital transformation look like in the, in the everyday normal store that's not a New York City flagship for a multinational retailer? So the digital transformation store is, again, leveraging the smartphone as a key device to engage with the store. And that could be getting coupons, engaging with a conversation with an expert as you're looking at things. So the smartphone or the digital devices are the interface of the store, and they're all over, for example, the South of Innovation Store. That will continue. There's still a struggle to figure out how much to let you loose in a store with a smartphone. So, for example, multiple retailers. Walmart, Nike have tried letting you shop with your phone, scan the barcodes with your phone, never talk to anybody, and walk out with the product that you just bought with the smartphone. In some segments, that will work. In some segments, it won't work. There will be a ton of experimentation in terms of 
driving you to do more inside of a store. So there's a retailer called Zara out of Spain. They're part of Inditex, 7,000 plus stores. They're putting self-checkout in fitting room. So as you come out of the fitting room, you love that garment. You see a line, you don't want to stand in the line. You can check yourself out right there in that fitting room. So there's different experiences that are going to come into the store to allow consumers to take more of their control of the shopping journey using digital devices. Wow. And then using those digital devices to communicate with the stores what you like, don't like. Wow, that that I didn't know that about Zara. That's really that's really interesting. So wh- here's what I want to do. What are I don't know the top three digital transformations we're going to see that are going to change the landscape of retail over the next three years? So the, the three that I'm focused on, one is artificial intelligence uh, applied to video. So the video, the camera that started out is really just looking at things uh, and then it went in the streets and in the store for crime. It's now a data gathering device. It's now analyzing what you're doing inside physical store. So I'll give you an example of Walmart and what they're able to do. So Walmart just opened a store where the entire store is self-checkout. There are no cashiers in there. This is a, an experiment in Fayetteville near the headquarters, but they've also redrawn a lot of their stores where they shrunk the man lanes and gone to these bullpens where there's a lot of self-checkout. The reason they're able to do that, and they've gone public with this so I can talk about it, is they have deployed artificial intelligence applied to video that analyzes each one of those transactions happening in self-checkout to see to figure out whether you're stealing or not. And if the, the, the artificial intelligence figures out that you're stealing, they will stop the transaction and call somebody to come and help you. And the wow. video will tell them exactly what is happening. That the technology is, is deployed in, in, a, in most of the stores. I, I don't want to get into account because I don't remember what Walmart made that public, but it's those types of technologies. Is Walmart a client of yours? So I've, I've worked with Walmart a lot, and I've worked actually in this artificial intelligence applied to video technologies. Uh, and so to me, those, so artificial intelligence applied to video, I think is, is one of those key technologies. The whole digitization around the smartphone, that's another transformational technology. I think that's just getting started. Part of that, and it's controversial, so I mentioned earlier I'm focused on three technology. One of the ones that I'm focused on is facial recognition. Very controversial, I know, especially now that Amazon, Microsoft, uh, and, uh, and IBM have basically put it on hold for law enforcement. But to me, facial recognition is one of those technology that will continue to progress, partly because Apple made it so normal for us to pick up the phone and open the phone with it. So it's it's being normalized by other technologies. So you're going to see almost not to the minority report, if you've seen the movie, we're not going to go down that far where we're going to be playing with eyeballs and all those kind of of things. But facial recognition is another one of those technologies that I think will increase its presence inside stores. And then the third technology that I'm focused on is actually GPS inside stores, because to me, tracking and being able to know exactly where products are. And there's two variations. There's GPS and also RFID. Those technologies are both being increased in terms of usage in tracking and telling you exactly where different things are. That becomes extremely important, especially as you do an online and offline business. You need to be able to know exactly where your products are. So if you make something available online to sell, 
you actually know that you have. Wow. That's really uh, fascinating stuff. This has been uh, really, really interesting, uh, Tony. So do you have one, what's the one thing that you're like super excited about, about retail? Like you think is really going to be really impactful and good for retail. So to me, uh, the digitization that everybody's afraid of, I think it's a positive. I, I think it's almost going back to my mama and pop store that retail started with, where the person across the, on the other side of the counter knew a name, knew your name, or actually give you a personal service and actually understood what your needs were, actually understood what to order ahead of time. So this, the world that we're going into is actually the ability to actually engage on a more personal level, to actually understand your needs and, and actually fulfill those needs. Yes, we're going to give up that privacy. To me, the world we're headed to is how much privacy are we going to give up to the balance, how much value we're going to get. And I do think we get to that right mix as the decision world evolves. So I think we're headed, and you see this in terms of how brands are evolving. You see that the reason department stores are struggling because they're a house of brands. They're trying to be all things to all people. That model is starting to fail because the brands have figured out in that store, they have to tell a story. They have to engage directly with that consumer on a personal level because a Macy's or, or, a, or a JCPenney cannot tell all the different brands' story that they have inside their store. And so you see Nike, Under Armour, all these uh, retailers really starting the, their, their journey one of the reasons why sports authority went out of business is because of that trend. So digitization to me is a thing that excites me because it points to a much stronger retail industry going forward because it personalizes the experience and the engagement with the consumer. Well said. The, we read a lot about on headline news the the big companies and I'll, I'll call like you know the the targets the WalMarts the Amazons and their constant innovation in tech. Who are some companies that you know have a significant amount of stores that are not those big headline newsworthy that are doing digital really well right now? So Nike's one, uh, Kroger's one, uh, Zara is one. So in the tech, so I, I can tell you in the tech announced RFID in 2014, and they announced it after they had deployed it in 700 stores. And they've, they've gone down to mobile pay, the self-checkout example that I gave you. They just, they just announced they're going to close 1,200 stores and spend over a billion dollars on further digitization. Uh, so there, there's a lot of good examples out there in terms of models. So, for example, Indotex is a fast fashion model. Their goal is to take a concept that they see on a fashion runway and get it to you in less than a month. So fast fashion, the idea of getting you the last and the best at an aggressive price, and then having digitization to back that up. Nike, in terms of some of the things that we talked about earlier. Kroger, in terms of, so Kroger's working with Microsoft on a retail as a service model. So there's a lot of different examples, but the three you mentioned were actually very good example in terms of what they were doing pre-COVID-19 that actually made it even more successful 
post-COVID-19. Amazon spends over $15 billion a year on innovation. So think Amazon Go. They just released a smart shopping cart. So as you put it in, right, they have Alexa. They have all these different ways that they're looking to evolve their model. Walmart, they were investing heavily in buy online, pick up in stores before COVID-19. And that was actually bringing Walmart back versus Amazon. So, and Walmart has been doing extremely well because again, that heavy investment that we talked about, including a few minutes ago in terms of self-checkout and artificial intelligence applied to video. Target, same thing, they were migrating the services. So there's a lot of good examples out there in terms of what the world looks like as we balance in terms of our investments in technology and also deeper consumer engagement. Awesome. Uh, you work with private equity groups a lot. Um, and we spent a lot of time talking about the retailers. What are the private equity groups doing as it relates to retail today? Um, a lot of what we hear about in headline news is a private equity group that's buying a retailer, but that's not what you really work with, right? So why don't you explain, you know, what the private equity groups you work with are doing? So I'm interested in, in uh, private equity groups that invest in, that we're the next generation, tech, that we're, I see the next generation technology taking place. And I actually mentioned some of that earlier. So I'm looking for where are those next waves that retailers are going to adopt in terms of innovation that will make that retailer more successful and will make the technology company more successful and, of course, make the private equity more accessible. And so there are some very good ones. I stay away from uh, private equity companies that buy distressed retailers. That's not really my model, partly because my passion is really trying to figure out where that disruptive future of retail is going on a go-forward basis. Got it. Well, listen, Tony, this has been fascinating. You really gave us a lot to think about. And I think the listeners, this is a unique one for my show. And I think the listeners are going to love uh, this spin and the excitement around the digitization that's happening and how that's good for physical retail on a go forward. I want to bring us to the last part of the show, which is retail wisdom. The first question is, what is your best piece of retail advice for everyone out there? So right now, the, my best piece of advice, especially to go and don't feel like you, you are alone. And, and by that, I mean, make sure you are talking to your peers, even if in, in non-competitive, competitive, but talk to your peers in terms of how you come out of this price is stronger. One of the things that I'm facilitating is actually an international exchange between European and, and U.S. retailers to talk about where are we at? And what is it going to look like? What's working for you? What's not working for you? Let's eliminate what's not working and focus on the best practices. So reach out. This is the most important time to actually reach out to, to, your, to your community, reach out to industry groups, and actually understand what's working to prepare for what that new normal. It takes about 66 days to create a new habit, roughly, before it becomes permanent. We've been in lockup and all this kind of disruption for quite a while. There's going to be a ton of new consumer habits. So right now, spend a lot of time understanding what others are doing, especially the industry leaders, to prepare yourself for that new normal and actually get ahead of it. Sage advice. Awesome answer. Thank you. 
Second question. Here we go. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? And I will tell you, this is a fan favorite. Everyone loves this question. So I, I'll tell you, because I like toys. So I'm going to say Toys R Us. And okay. probably one of your podcasts, I actually became a fan of your podcast as a result of getting on this one with you. And I actually listened to the last one of the last ones or so that you did. And, uh, and Toys R Us is indeed my favorite when I think about it. That was, you know, bringing a child inside of a Toys R Us and seeing the face light up as they ran from toys to toys, including myself when I was young. I do miss that physical experience that's really is gone from that category. And I do think there was a bright future in terms of the digitization of that model and what you could do inside stores. And I hope somebody actually picks up that mantle that brings it back. Agreed. Last question. I am on Walmart's website and I have two young children. They love swing sets. Right now I'm looking at the Kidcraft Ainsley wooden swing set. What does that retail for on Walmart's website? And I can get it to my house by Friday or I could pick it up in their store by Friday. Oh, that's a tough question because partly my children <laughs> are, don't buy swing sets anymore. So I haven't bought one of those in a long time. Okay, I'm going to guess $200. $399, but thank you for playing. It looks like the <laughs> price of swing sets has gone See? up over the years. <laughs> See, uh, thank you very much for catching me on that. <laughs> I need to go buy more swing sets. <laughs> well, listen, Tony, this has been great. Thank you so much. Uh, and your insights are really interesting. And I love your passion about this part of the industry. And uh, I think everyone's going to love this. So thanks, man. Thank you very much. I totally enjoyed it. So pleasure to be with you. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.